This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people in politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight. I'm talking today with Ben Grant, the Urban Design Policy Director at SPUR, a San Francisco think tank. He has interesting ideas on how the coronavirus pandemic will shape San Francisco's economy, public transit, and health system for years to come. Benjamin Grant, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. You and your SPUR colleague, Sarah Karlinski, have published an interesting blog post on the SPUR website that caught my attention about how San Francisco and other cities will weather the coronavirus pandemic. And um, generally, I thought both of you sounded pretty optimistic. Are you um, feeling pretty good about where we're headed or are you just trying to sound upbeat because we could use that (laughs) (laughs) right now? Well, um, I I think the the piece is upbeat with respect to some of the questions about the future of cities. Um, you know, I think we, uh, uh, Spur and, uh, just like everybody else is, you know, really, um, facing this crisis, um, you know, great apprehension and it's certainly going to get worse before it gets better. So I don't want in any way to, to downplay the severity of, um, of what we're up against. Um, but um, the the impetus for the article was um, uh, the the concern among uh, people who advocate for uh, for cities and the benefits of cities um, for a living um, and as a passion, you know, to to the the tendency to start to feel doubt in these, in these kinds of situations. You know, are cities uh, part of the problem? Uh, with respect to infectious disease and this this pandemic, and is the argument for cities as fundamentally about bringing people together and the sort of virtues of that? Um, you know, should we be reconsidering that? Um, is this going to have a lasting impact on the shape of cities and the fortunes of cities? And I think from that point of view, uh, it is a bit more upbeat. And I think we 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 conclude in a piece that. Um, uh, cities uh, have faced these kinds of threats many, many times since the beginning of, of human settlement. And um, it has always been a shaper of cities and a scourge of cities, but um, uh, they've always bounced back. And uh, they have also uh, internalized a lot of lessons of how to cope with uh, these kinds of threats uh, and have come back stronger because that, that tendency of human beings to gather together uh, for a variety of reasons, um, uh, is is very very strong in us as a species, and is is foundational to who we are. Right. And you talked in the piece about how um, cities have survived everything from malaria to typhoid to cholera to tuberculosis, and often emerge better for it. Like it may help them create a better sanitation system or improved hygiene. Um, why do you think that cities have to go through these disasters to realize some obvious changes that they should have made from the start? Sure. Well, I, I think that really touches on some fundamental 
challenges in human nature, not just with respect to cities. Um, we tend to be creatures of habit and we tend to get comfortable. Um, and I think we all experience this in our ordinary lives, whether it's, you know, trying to get up and exercise before work or, um, you <laughs> Easier know, said than done. <laughs> trying to exactly trying to cut out dessert or, or save money for the future. Um, uh, it's hard to, to change habits. Habits die hard um, in, in human society. And that's certainly true for cities as well. And it's really these periods of crisis that um, that both force us and also allow us, maybe put in more more affirmative terms, mm-hmm. to give us permission to step back and really question how we do things and make the deeper changes that are much more difficult day to day. Right. Do you foresee any improvements that you think San Francisco will make after weathering this epidemic? Any kind of holes in our system you think are becoming more obvious? Um. Well, uh, first, I should say that I think that San Francisco is handling this crisis extraordinarily well. Yes. Um, I'm not a public health expert by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, you know, we have a culture that um, uh, has a great deal of respect for, for science and for, um, for sort of the uh, uh, virtues of public health and the management of public resources. So we're not coping with um, the kind of open skepticism that you see in some parts of the country. No one's calling it a hoax. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a very robust and um, high capacity public health department. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a number of people have referenced the um, the AIDS crisis as being sort of the germ of that in many ways, when the city really rose to uh, to that crisis mm-hmm. uh, in a way that developed a very strong, very professionalized health department. Uh, as well as uh, a political culture that shows a lot of respect um, for public health as a priority. Um, That's kind of been baked into our civic culture for quite some time. And I think that's really bearing out right now Mm -hmm. um, that we uh, as a city and as a region have uh, responded as aggressively as any place else in this country. And uh, obviously the jury is still out on how this will play out, but it seems to be, um, bearing some fruit in terms of starting to flatten the curve and so forth. Right. I agree with you that we're definitely doing better than most cities. Um, Do you think, though, that this is teaching us any lessons yet in terms of what we need to do better in the future? Certainly. I mean, I I think a lot of the more general lessons in our society are are and the fissures in our society are are being revealed in this time of crisis, which Mm -hmm. I, I think is um, to be expected. Um, I think particularly around the questions of um, economic inequality and the instability of the economic lives of so many people on the lower end of the income spectrum, all the gig workers and so forth, who are suddenly, uh, you know, the front lines of this crisis. Um, they are making it possible to socially distance, whether it's, it's delivering food or groceries um, or getting people around and so forth. And they are the ones that have the least uh, support structure in our society. Right. It's obviously not specific to San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, although you know maybe this region had a significant hand in in inventing the the structures of of gig work and so forth. And this has obviously been a hot topic for quite some time. But this crisis is really throwing it into high relief as we suddenly realize, oh, we we cannot live this way without uh, these workers, and we have really not valued them adequately. And so many 
folks can really um, lose their employment on a dime with right. uh, very little compensation or protection. And I think that's a theme that's been emerging in our society for quite some time, but it, it takes something like this to really make us realize how critical that is. Yes. And on another topic, BART and Muni are suffering major drops in ridership and fair revenue and have already scaled back their service. How can we keep them going so they'll be strong and ready when the outbreak is over and we can actually go places again? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think um, to answer that, it would be useful to sort of step back a little bit and think about how we respond to this crisis over time, that there's a, there's a series of phases that help to kind of organize our thinking. Um, and the first and the one that we're, we're scarcely into right now, but we're, um, uh, is, is still going strong is the response to the pandemic itself. And that, that's actually just standing up the medical system and the extra support and resources that they need to actually manage the illness. And I think that's, as I mentioned, a place where, where San Francisco and the Bay Area um, have shined, although um, certainly there remain significant challenges and, and uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, the second phase that um, I think about is, is um, sort of mitigation of the damage and support for the systems um, that we need uh, to continue to function as a society. And that's um, uh, economic support, whether that's the, the checks that the federal government are going to be providing or um, local business support, um, the uh, mitigation measures to uh, provide the moratorium on evictions and the uh, forgiveness of uh, late mortgage payments and so forth to keep people housed. we got to support what we need now so that we have it later. Um, and that's kind of, I think, the phase that you're asking about right now. And then just to, to finish the thought, um, the, the next is after that is how do we think about recovery and reinvestment because we are it's very clear to us that we are entering a major economic downturn it is in in many ways an economic downturn of our own making we are deliberately turning off our economy for the sake of public health um and rediscovering that that some things are more important than making money <laughs> um i think that that's part of the conversation that's emerging in this country right now um but, uh, of course, that's going to have very real, very human consequences. And so as we think about expending large sums of money to try to climb out of the hole that we are creating economically, we need to be very strategic about how we spend that money. And um, we want that money to take us forward to the world we're trying to create rather than falling back on familiar habits. And then finally, the, the last stage is what does a, a new equilibrium look like? What do our cities look like? What does our policy landscape and governance landscape look like? after we've recovered from this, what's different from before this crisis. Mm -hmm. You mentioned business, and one of the things that makes San Francisco so special is our quirky, really individual um, small businesses, you know, independent movie theaters, bookstores, restaurants. Um, are you worried that a lot of them won't survive um, this, now the new extension of shelter-in-place is to at least May 1st, and it may go beyond that? What is the likelihood that these small places can weather this? Um, absolutely, I'm concerned. And I mean, this was something that um, was a great concern before this crisis emerged, right? The, the rise of online retail and the widely discussed sort of um, end of retail as a, um, as a standard fixture in the city. And how, how do city planners think about that? How do urban designers think about that? If you can't count on something activating the ground floor in the street, what does it mean for the public realm? Um, and then what does it mean for 
for our local businesses and entrepreneurs economically and for the character and flavor of city life. Um, this is um, a, a challenge that's not unique to this crisis. Um, this crisis will push it a lot farther, a lot faster, I think. Um, and so there's a number of measures underway um, to try to support local businesses. Oakland is, is rolling out um, grants to low-income businesses um, to try to keep them afloat during this period with this idea that um, you know we have to support the things that we depend on now because when we come out of this, we're going to need them. And that goes for public services like transit as well as for um, local businesses and so forth. I will say that I think um, uh, small businesses and entrepreneurs show an amazing amount of ingenuity and inventiveness, which is sort of in the nature of, of entrepreneurialism. Um, uh, a, a, a case in point is the um, resurgence of small local bookstores, right? After uh, wisely being uh, uh, dismissed as, as dying on the vine with the rise of the big box bookstores and Amazon and so forth, who's died recently has been the mall bookstore, the Barnes and Nobles. Um, and if you, if you're trying to get uh, your book quickly for the cheapest price, you might get it on Amazon. But if you are a book person that cares about the experience of going to a bookstore, you're going to go to your local bookstore. And there's been this shakeout that's been very painful for that whole industry and many local businesses have not made it, but the ones that have survived have come back with a, you know, really found their footing and found their competitive um, edge. That's, of course, before um, the pandemic crisis. Um, I think right now you have businesses who are retooling to to find ways of doing business despite this crisis, whether it's going to um, the delivery business. Um, you have restaurants obviously um, aided by delivery services, um, keeping us fed while we're locked down, right? That is um, an amazing rapid adaptation that shows the kind of inventiveness of local businesses. That doesn't mean that they're doing fine. This is a massive struggle, um, but uh, it is amazing to see the ways in which um, small businesses and people adapt. And we need to keep that in mind and you know, support them and, and take advantage of that. I'm Heather Knight, and I'll be right back with Ben Grant. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm back with Ben Grant, Urban Design Policy Director at Spur. I thought a really interesting part of your um, article was the importance of connection. Uh, what These days that's mostly virtual, Zoom conferences, um, you know, social media. And, um, and that that brought up, quote, deaths of despair for you from suicide, alcohol, and drugs, and that those far outpace deaths from infectious diseases, but we don't often talk about them or really do anything in a major way to prevent them. Um, does the pandemic give us any lessons on that front, do you think? Well, um, this, this came up for me in thinking about um, cities and the idea that, uh, you know, with this kind of pandemic taking place, should we be questioning the virtues of cities and the value of living close to one another? Um, 
And, um, you know, I'm an urban designer. I'm very invested in the idea of public space and the ways in which cities uh, do bring people together. And um, it's just really important to keep in mind, first of all, that infectious disease has always been a part of urban settlements um, and occasionally, you know, profoundly destructive, um, whether you're thinking about the Black Plague or outbreaks of, of typhoid and cholera and so forth. Um, and in many cases, we have learned to adapt our urban systems to manage for those challenges. So we've been able to build denser and denser cities by figuring out how to solve the problems that emerge from, from density. Um, at the same time, when we look at um, where our public health challenges are today, um, there has been a real shift. If you, you know, at the, the end of the 19th century, um, the the middle of a big city was one of the least healthy places you could live. You're exposed to industrial pollution and the prospect of, uh, of these kinds of infectious diseases, waterborne diseases, diseases of hygiene. Um, and in many ways, we've seen that invert itself, even as over the course of the last century, people uh, in the United States who could fled cities and, and move to lower density environments, car oriented environments. Um, and we, uh, solved a number of those um, disease threats in cities, both through better hygiene and also changes to our economy. Um, we don't tend to have smokestack factories in the middle of American cities anymore, partly because we've exported that elsewhere around the world. But um, but our cities have gotten much cleaner and much healthier, also through a series of very aggressive regulations like the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. Um, meanwhile, we have created in this country a sedentary lifestyle um, in the suburban environment. So a lot of our, our health crises are around obesity, um, the consequences of a sedentary life, um, chronic diseases um, that flow from that. Um, and then on top of that, um, as the rural and um, uh, small town economies in the United States have eroded, you have um, the rise of what uh, Ann Case and Angus Deaton have referred to as deaths in despair. Um, which is the, the um, epidemic of deaths by drug abuse, alcoholism, and suicide that are really diseases of social isolation. So when we think about, you know, cities and health and settlement patterns of health, um, obviously this is tied up in a lot of factors of culture and shifting economics and so forth, but there is something very real about um people being isolated from one another and the danger of that. We are social beings. And when we don't have contact with other people, um, it's very difficult for us to, to stay healthy. And, um, and if you look at the numbers, the, the impacts of um, deaths of despair, um, some 600,000 um, additional deaths or, you know, would not be accounted for by other factors over the past five years or so. Um, that's a, that's a huge number. That's, um, more than the, the total impact of the 1918 flu pandemic. Wow. And, you know, we've been talking with great alarm about the prospect of one to 200,000 deaths from COVID-19 in this country. That would still be less nationwide than what we're seeing from these deaths of social isolation. Mm. So it's not in any way to, to dismiss the challenge we're facing in cities. Um, but to simply put it in perspective and understand that isolation is every bit as important as human contact. Yeah, that's interesting. And, yeah. And while we're talking about human contact, I think it's also important to um, 
to take account of the importance of human contact in cities right now as we mm-hmm. live through this. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've noticed in, in my neighborhood in Oakland is that um, because people are stuck at home right now, they're around in their neighborhoods a lot more. Yeah. And they might not be riding a BART um, and going to work every day, but um, there's a lot of human contact going on. And I think a lot of people have felt this. People are out walking around in their neighborhoods carefully, stepping around each other and socializing. <laughs> right. And it's kind of a fascinating sort of vibe of like how much space do you give people and uh-huh. how much interaction are people wanting. But there's also a breaking down of social barriers that, that crises tend to produce and, a, and a, a real hunger for face-to-face human interaction. And um, people are responding in all sorts of wonderfully creative ways, whether it's teddy bears in the windows yeah. or um, using digital platforms to com- communicate with one another. The um, the Zoom cocktail hour has become yeah. <laughs> and a birthday standard, parties. Uh, Phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, there's a wonderful piece in the New York Times by Aaron Kaplan today, a, a letter talking about walking in Los Angeles mm. during the coronavirus. Um, and it's just a very nuanced picture of what it's like to move in urban space um, and, and sort of uh, especially so during this time of crisis where there is this, this desire, this need to actually find that human contact. And I think we need to remember that we don't, we don't need to give up on public space. We don't need to give up on cities. Our cities are going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have a long road to go to get through this, um, but I don't think we need to, um, uh, let's say, rumors of the, of the city's demise are mm-hmm. a premature. Right. I'm actually finding that people are feeling more proud of San Francisco than they have in several years um, because of City Hall and, and the health department and everybody else's response to this challenge has been pretty amazing so far. I think that's right. It's really, it's playing to our strengths in some ways and, mm-hmm. and reminding us that we do have these deeply held values um, of, of respect for, for public service and for public needs and science and um, a real investment in taking care of one another. Mm-hmm. And I think in the, this period of extreme economic expansion and housing crisis and homelessness, it's been so difficult for us to to be in touch with those values mm-hmm. because we are facing some very intractable, challenging problems. And here's the thing that that um, is really bringing out the best in us. And I think we need to, to listen to that and remember that. I think that's right. Well, that's a good note to end the serious questions on. And now I'd like to go to our famous lightning round. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite place? Since you live in Oakland, you can respond Oakland or San Francisco. It's up to you. What is your okay. favorite place to get a burrito? Uh, Gordo Taqueria. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh, that's very hard. <laughs> it's um, a controversial I question. I was knocked out by the last black man in San Francisco. Yeah. That's a, a recent one. That yeah. was great. Where's your favorite place to get a stiff drink back when bars were open? Uh, well, um, pandemic edition in appreciation <laughs> for their uh, response to this. Uh, by protecting all of their workers, but also a longstanding love of mine, Tadich. Yes. Great place for a martini. <laughs> what was your first concert? Uh, my first concert was the Go Go oh, at nice. the Greek Theater in Berkeley. Oh, I love the in Greek. That 1984. That's a good one. <laughs> what was the last book you read? Um, I am currently working my way through Angle of Repose mm. by Wallace Stegner. Um, I love that book. Of, Trying to give myself a little bit of a Western studies curriculum. Mm-hmm. Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? I'm making some music. 
Um, and that's been uh, a real pleasure during this time at home and I've uh, been doing some online performing too. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Ben Grant for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. If you want to support San Francisco City Insider and the newsroom that creates it, become a member of the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Heather Knight. Thanks for listening.